Welcome to Troubleshooting Agile, a regular problem-solving session for Agile teams. I'm Squirrel, and together with my friend Jeffrey here, we explore common problems Agile teams face, such as slow delivery, tension with the business, or just building the wrong thing. We apply a wide variety of techniques with a special focus on human factors to provide practical, immediately useful advice for getting back on track. Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. So uh, as we said last time, we're going to be going through each of the uh, principles from the Agile Manifesto. And uh, why don't we start with number one? Jeffrey, do you want to start us off? Absolutely. Uh, number one, uh, it's, it's great because it's the uh, it's actually something I think could have been an Agile Manifesto by itself. It says, hmm. our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. And man, there's a lot going on in that. Yep. <laughs> and and you and I, in, in talking about this uh, podcast, talked about how we might uh, break this down uh, because you can imagine having parts of this a manifesto delivering on it or this principle, but not others. So, for example, you might satisfy people and uh, be valuable. What's wrong with that? That that seems that seems fine, even if you're not early and continuous. Uh, but there are problems there. We'll we'll talk about those. Also, you could be early but not. Uh, continuous, uh, or you could be missing the early part. So you can you can be missing different pieces here. What uh, what's what's the problem uh, with each one? And so I think let's start off with uh, what happens if you were able to satisfy your client and it was valuable, but you weren't weren't early. I think we said this is the case where you just you just got lucky. What's what's wrong with being lucky? Yep. Uh, so I have some uh, examples of that where uh, a couple of my client, uh, consulting clients uh, have managed to be lucky. And my, my favorite example is, um, I have to disguise it a little bit, but it was uh, a product for children. So it was a, a retail product and entertainingly not chiefly a technical product. I was helping with technology side of it, but the, the main contribution that this company gives, the main uh, magic that they produce is uh, amazing uh, experiences for children. Uh, not necessarily te the technology that, that lies behind them. And uh, they more or less by accident had created this amazing product that everyone wanted that has incredible sales, dominates its market. And they had created this uh, in their spare time. They had, uh, a group of friends who uh, made this thing and said, oh, maybe a few of our kids will enjoy it and maybe we can sell a few and you know buy ourselves a nice holiday. Um, they did a lot better than that. <laughs> and um, so they thought, wow, this is fantastic. All we did was just sit in a room and come up with some crazy idea and we put it out to the market and everybody bought it. But the, the symptom they presented with when, when they came to me for, for help uh, with the technology and then I, we wound up discovering together uh, what to do about it was, uh, yeah, we had this great success with the first one we have something horribly wrong with the second one because they went off and did the same thing. And um, people really did not want to buy it in anything like the numbers that the first one had. And when they dug in, they figured out that uh, they had built a product completely inadvertently. It wasn't uh, intentional at all, but their product really only applied, uh, appealed to boys. So um, of course that's half the children's market and uh, it didn't actually even work that well for boys, but it certainly did not work for girls for whatever reason. They really didn't understand why that might be, but they certainly could observe that in the numbers once they dug in. So uh, the solution there that they 
worked out. A uh, little bit of help for me, but really they get the credit for for figuring this out. In their in their case, was um, actually they now have a person who's uh, an anthropologist who is an expert on children and their social interactions, and that person goes and tries out early prototype products with kids. Uh, actually plays with them, participates with them, sits in their living rooms, takes videos, uh, and brings those videos back, showing the kids interacting with the prototype products. And that's how they've been able then to move on from the first product, which worked spectacularly well by accident, and the second product that didn't really work at all. They're now multiple products, uh, which work very well because of this. And, and, I, and I think that what, what's behind it here, so if we're to put this as a symptom, I think the way we, we, you would hear it is people saying, hey, we'd, we'd like to build another one, but we don't know how. <laughs> we, how, how, do we, how do we do that again? And I think the, the, the key, what's so important about early is it's, it's the earliness here that allows us to test our ideas. So mm-hmm. rather than relying on us uh, just being right by chance, we, we can develop the capacity to, uh, for early delivery and early testing and, and, and therefore early learning. And I, I think if we look at the sort of broader software market or, or the broader market in general, uh, we can find examples of, of early movers in various markets that had initial success, but were eventually uh, overtaken by people who were, were better at iterating, better at learning, and uh, uh, could, could uh, continue uh, evolving. So it's, uh, if we want to be something other than lucky, then I, I think that's what makes uh, early uh, a, a key part of, uh, of, of this principle of uh, the number one agile principle. Mm-hmm. And we had we had another example here where uh, we weren't able to collaborate with the business to even to decide what's worth testing. So in, in this case, they, they weren't even really trying anything. But um, what, what do you think about cases where you're, you're not able to figure out together what, what's worth trying? Right. And the, the problem here really being a failure to prioritize. And I think this can happen a, a couple different ways. The, the uh, one time, sometimes it can happen very explicitly. You're, you're trying to, to, to deal with your internal business stakeholders uh, saying, well, let's go test this in the market. But you, you hear explicit resistance saying something like, no, there's, there's no point. There's no point in doing only part of this. You know, or we, we need all, all 10 of these features for this to be a useful test. It's clearly not valuable uh, uh, without having all 10. That's that's one way you can fail uh, to to prioritize is uh, is just absolute refusal. But I think it's certainly also possible for you to sort of drift into it to implicitly start a lot of things in parallel. Um, and I think you you again you had a you've had a case you've run into where where that was the experience. Absolutely. Well, this was my very first consulting client, actually, and I, I turned up on day one, and I I thought, gosh, what I'll do is I'll just observe the team for a bit. And what I observed was um, people standing up and sitting down a lot, which was a very strange observation. We had uh, eight developers in the team, and there were four different stand-ups. And during those stand-ups, they reported on something like six different projects. So there were almost as many stand-ups and projects as developers. And for such a small team, I was certainly not expecting this phenomenon. So, of course, I asked and I said, why are we doing so many things? And the answer was, well, they're all important. And this goes precisely to the notion of, of failing to prioritize, because that's exactly what they had, had not done, is uh, they were uh, trying to do everything that might possibly be valuable, and uh, therefore were uh, no surprise. And the reason I was there was that they were not getting those things to market and getting a, a, a clear sense of progress and uh, feedback from, from their customers, because they were making a little progress on lots of things. 
and that create a narrative or a, an opportunity for uh, customers to, to give them feedback. And the solution was uh, a week later, I uh, sat down the, the leader of this organization and said, uh, in another week, uh, you must tell us what the one thing is that we're going to do. And we wrote that in giant letters on the whiteboard and uh, got ourselves focused on one thing. We held one stand up and focused on doing that one thing. And um, that's what they continue to do today, which is uh, very helpful. And it, 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 this is such a common experience, I think. I've I've encountered this uh, at many places. I had, I'd uh, done a, a, some consulting with uh, city government at a, mm. at a high level and a very similar dynamic occurred. What happened here was they had multiple projects with different stakeholders and they wanted to keep each of their stakeholders happy. And so the way to do that was to report the progress for each of their stakeholders and kind of the, the toy version of this, imagine that you have three projects with three stakeholders. And so they would time slice between them. Meaning that they got less than they could have for any one of them. That's right. That sliced over all three, so they were all more. That's right. Them. That's right. Whereas if they had done them serially, well, then obviously they they would have been able to deliver the first project before they moved to the second one, and then the second before they moved to the third. The overall time when that third project was delivered would be the same, in in sort of the simple case. But it was it was hard for them to imagine doing that because they would have had told that one stakeholder, well, you won't be receiving anything until this later date. But the overall result, of course, for the organization was a real loss. It, it's it's a it's a counterintuitive thing, I think, for people both because of stakeholder management and also I think people are trying to do the right thing and be efficient. And I, I think that's something we we both experienced where people say that. Uh, we we're, uh, we're, we're, we want to make sure that we're making best use of the people we have. Absolutely, one of my favorite things to say is uh, I want to value uh, thorough, uh, sorry throughput over utilization. I.e., it's better if somebody is idle for a little bit. It might be that somebody's an expert on that third project that we aren't going to do for a while, and therefore that person's underutilized. And that's actually better. Um, one of the, the challenges, particularly, is in uh, you and I both have an experience with at least one company that's uh, a consulting history that started as a consultancy. Maybe you've seen others as well. And that's a particular problem in those kinds of companies because utilization is king, right? We want to bill for everybody all the time. Nobody should ever be on that's the right. bench. That's not the philosophy if you want to deliver software in an agile and, and successful way. Uh, it's much better to put throughput ahead of utilization, which may mean somebody is less utilized. They're not using their skills the best way. They may be they're doing something they're not familiar with. They're not uh, fully occupied. But in fact, the whole team gets better throughput. That's right. And this 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 uh, recalibration around throughput over utilization is something that I found uh, very helpful in the book, The Goal. And it's a very similar type of, of transition uh, and, and so, sort of logic where the traditional manufacturing idea of efficiency was measured at a point, which so we, we invest in this very expensive machine. Well, let's make sure it's completely 100% utilized. The, 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 the problem of being that uh, that's, that doesn't help you uh, overall deliver. And this is the source of a bunch of different types of inefficiencies. Um, I'm not going to repeat them all here, but the, the analogy of is it better for that machine to uh, be always working, even if it's generating inventory, or is it better for it to be uh, available to maximize throughput? Well, part of the story is explaining the, the maths why uh, throughput is a, is a better uh, way to determine effectiveness rather than the traditional measure of efficiency. And I think mm -hmm. that's a, is making that similar change in, in, in software is what we're, we're describing here. 
tell me if I'm wrong, but one of the biggest differences is that it, it's not a manufacturing situation where you're you're trying to do a a well-known process. If you're laying bricks, everybody knows how to lay bricks, and it's well understood. And you put the mortar down, and then you put the brick, and then you put the next bit of mortar down. Um, and so, if you can make sure everybody is always putting in bricks, you will get your wall done faster. But with knowledge work, it doesn't work that way. Oh, that's right. And it, and I I think the uh, I, the idea with the uh, one of the lessons from lean manufacturing is that it, it doesn't all that work all that well in manufacturing either. Even. No, absolutely. <laughs> if 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 this if the process is really well understood and you don't need any creativity, yes. then utilization might be a reasonable metric. Even then, it might not be. But uh, it's certainly not when uh, you're doing something unknown and new where you need a lot and, of and, and, Well, then I think that's this is this gets really I think to the point about why we're talking about agile, and there's we're talking about something where the the environment might change. Where it's uh, where it's not going to be steady state, so some, the the logic that may work if you have a perfectly well known steady state situation simply is is different if you are, are know that uh, change might be happening, uh, or and, and certainly in the business, I think this has been the big driver for agile is that the world will change, so you're gonna you're gonna have to be able to to adjust, and and, uh, and that's the the big driver for agility. And, and software is a particularly flexible type of entity, the cost of change technically is relatively low. And so the opportunity for feedback is high. Yes, absolutely. And and at at the same time, it's also particularly a place where the market and expectations change quite a bit. So you might have a perfectly uh, satisfactory uh, system that's running, but it becomes, uh, it starts to feel old and outdated just because everything else in technology is moving so fast. So that that's a particularly uh, a case in, in software, I think more than in, in a, a lot of other product areas. And I was making a note as you were speaking before about stakeholder management. I, it doesn't quite fit into today's topic, but can you help me remember? We should make sure to come back to it. One thing I, I was imagining what our listeners might be saying to themselves, they might say, yeah, it, it's all well and good for you to say there are three stakeholders and we should tell one of them to wait. You haven't met my stakeholders. They'd eat me for lunch. <laughs> so we, we have a bunch of techniques for um, managing outward and upward and uh, jointly designing solutions that will definitely be coming to us. We work through these principles. Uh, yeah, that's that's a very useful. Uh, we, we, we will get into, into techniques today. Our, our goal really is to try to establish why these principles are what they are and why they're important and how you can then use them to, to try to generate a shared vision of what you're after as an organization. Uh, which yeah. is a good way to go now to our uh, the last point we're going to talk about is what happens if you uh, lack the skill to do continuous delivery. Uh, so you've mm-hmm. you've managed to do something satisfactory and you've managed to 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 get something out early, and it's and it looks valuable, but what happens? What's and what's the symptom that we come across in this scenario? It's very commonly the one that I see is that in the very early days when I, I like to say when your your whole team, because I work with startups, when your whole team would fit in a phone booth, then it was super easy to get things out very quickly. Communication was fast. Everything was smooth. And often when I come along, when the company's outgrown the phone booth, suddenly people are saying, we, we're just getting slower. Like everything's so slow. And what, what happened? What changed? <laughs> That's right. And I think you have some experience. The end state of, uh, of that one. Well, I had a very dramatic uh, example of this back uh, when I was doing some uh, consultation work with a, a, it was a very large bank. Uh, and on this project, they had 400 plus developers, a huge, huge team on this very important project. Uh, and they were interested in adopting developer testing, uh, unit testing. And the real motivation mm-hmm. from them was very clear. They, they knew what they wanted to get out of it. And 
but what they wanted to get was a really surprise to me. They said, what they wanted to get to the point where the time spent on maintenance was down to 50%. Like that was their dream goal. Meaning basically yep. all of their, each developer, all 400 developers that almost all of their time was really spent on maintenance, fixing bugs and regressions just continuously. So what had happened here is they'd lost the ability to deliver new features and new functionality that that was just gone. So the idea of continuous delivery was just absent really because they had, they didn't have the technical skills uh, that they hadn't made the investment in uh, the practices and, and the, the, the code base that would allow them to keep delivering. And they said, we're spending all their time spinning their wheels in maintenance. And that's, they're, they're far from the only example of, of those that I've come across. Of course, through KitCon and the continuous integration and testing uh, conference, uh, we've met uh, a, a multitude of people who've described this type of problem and who often come looking saying, we, you know, what do we, what do we need to do? This continuous integration, continuous delivery, it sounds great. What are, what are we missing? And uh, often it's, it's developing skills and techniques uh, that uh, will, will allow them to keep delivering. And then the, the, I don't want to spend a lot of time trying to label all these skills because there, there are many of them. And they're, they're also reasonably well known. So you can Google for, for these sorts of things and find out what skills you might need. But um, the uh, difficulty often is convincing people that it's worth investing. Yes, it's really a question of motivation. And I, I think, and this is we come back to the principle itself. It, it, the, 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 if you have any of these symptoms that we've talked about, or, or the, there's probably more that we haven't talked, haven't discussed. I mean, I, I think we'd love to hear from our listeners if you have some other symptoms, things that you've heard that you think relate to a failure to uh, follow this principle. But if, if you're hearing things like, you know, we'd like to build another one, but we don't know how, or uh, there's no point in doing any part of this, or we, you know, we need to do everything in parallel because they're all important, or, you know, why, why are we suddenly so slow? Um, then I think it's worth bringing this principle to your team and saying, is this, you know, are, are we an agile team? And if we are, then are we really committed to this uh, number one agile principle that our highest priority is to satisfy the customer? through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. And uh, not only to your team, but to stakeholders and managers and other folks who uh, might be interested in improving the, the condition by, by removing the symptoms, but they, they don't understand what principles they might apply to, to get there. And that can make the discussion a lot easier. We're touching on some of those uh, joint design techniques, but uh, I promise we'll come back to those. Yep. Uh, that's right. So I, uh, I think that was what we were going to uh, plan to talk about for today on the principles. And as I mentioned, we'd love to hear from our listeners uh, if they have any uh, thoughts on this principle and any other symptoms might arise. Anything else we'd like to hear from our, our listeners? Uh, well, in general, we'd uh, love to hear what you think about the podcast and uh, how it's working for you. Uh, the way you can do that, of course, is go to troubleshootingagile.com and uh, send us an email there, join our mailing list and, and so on. Uh, we'd also like to hear what you think about uh, the, the format of the podcast. Is this a good length? Should it be longer, shorter? Are there particular uh, topics you'd like us to cover and difficulties that you're having and uh, troubleshooting you'd like us to, to try our hand at? We, we'd sure like to hear that. All right. And uh, well, hopefully we hear from lots of people. And um, uh, thanks for your time today, Squirrel. Thank you. Remember to uh, like, subscribe, all of those kinds of nice things. Uh, share the podcast with others and uh, come back next time when we'll uh, have a look at the next Agile Manifesto principle. All right. Talk to you then. Take care.